You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. Hey, Michael, how you doing? I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So I think most teachers know it is important to know our students, right? Yeah, it's simply one of those things you want to do, build community, foster relationships. That way you can kind of dive into the deep stuff. Right, right. I mean, so we should know their interests, their cultural backgrounds, what's important to them. I think doing that helps you become a better teacher. So my question to start off today is, how do you get to know your students? So I know that we've talked about some of the stuff that I do in our panel about the first five days, but one of the things that I, I did differently this year that I got when I took a, a class from Nicole Elliott, um, who does a lot on cultural responsive classroom, I put a question out to students, tell me their favorite, a few of their favorite songs and why. And then with that music, I actually made a Spotify playlist and then I started to listen to their, to their songs. And it was really interesting because as I put the playlist together, and I was listening to it on my own. I was really starting to learn about who these kids were, like how the differences between my periods. And sometimes when we have like, um, you know, some work time, I play it. And so they can hear what their classmates say. And then every so often it's their their song. So it's been a really neat little community building exercise. Yeah, that's cool. Music's a great way to know what someone cares about because it's such a personal thing to us, the music we love. And I got so many great tips on new new uh, new artists. Yeah. So now you know all the cool bands. I do. So um, luckily, we're going to get to jump into this a little bit more today, right? We're actually super excited to have David John, who's the executive director of the White House Initiative on Educational Excellence in the for African-Americans. David Johns, how are you? I'm wonderful. Excited to be having this conversation with the two of you. How are you? We're fantastic. Again, we are so thrilled that you uh, that you wanted to, that you had the time to join us. It's taken a lot. So I appreciate your patience. Thank you for providing the platform. <laughs> David, can you tell us a little bit about your background in education, particularly the Department of Education, what it does and what is your role in it? Yeah, I'll step back a little bit from that. Uh, anyone who knows me knows that I am passionate about education, really increasing learning and development opportunities for all kids, but especially those who look like me and come from the communities that have supported me. And I started my career as an elementary school educator. I taught kindergarten and third grade in Harlem, New York. Thereafter, I pursued a fellowship um, with the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation in Washington, D.C., having heard a lot about um, how policies like then the No Child Left Behind Act were supposed to fix things, uh, not only for students in my classroom or school, but for students across the country, and believe that it couldn't be that hard to improve the policy. So I would take a pay cut from teaching to move to Washington to be a fellow to figure it out myself. I then got bit by the Potomac bug or fever, as they refer to it, uh, was extended an opportunity of a lifetime to work for Senator Ted Kennedy on the Senate Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions. It was under his leadership and tutelage that I really learned about policymaking and how individuals in uh, federal positions in particular try and leverage resources to improve programs, policy, and practice. Um, I worked for Ted Kennedy until he passed and then was inherited by Tom Harkin, who led the HELP Committee uh, in an extremely graceful um, and magnanimous way after Ted Kennedy passing. 
around that time, the Tea Party grew in prominence and we moved from debating the role of federal investments in education to debating whether or not there was a role in the first place. And before I was escorted out of the building, I decided to quit and to be reconnected to why this work mattered. And I moved to Nevada to serve as President Obama's policy director there. Um, we won the state. Uh, a lot of people said that it would not be done. And while that was going on, the initiative that I now had the pleasure of leading the White House initiative on educational excellence for African-Americans was established by executive order. The initiative is the newest of now six total White House initiatives, the eldest of which is the White House Initiative on Historically Black Colleges and Universities, which was established under President Carter some more than 50 years ago. And before this administration, before President Obama took office, there were uh, similar initiatives focused on educational excellence for Hispanics, Asian American Pacific Islander, uh, Native American Alaskan Natives, Native Hawaiians, uh, one slightly different focusing on faith-based and neighborhood partnerships. Um, but there was a conspicuous absence with regard to African-Americans when we think about um, most quality of life indicator ladders and that African-American uh, students are often at the lowest rungs. So the president established uh, the, this initiative by executive order, and I was appointed to lead the work of this initiative in 2013. Um, the initiative is housed at the U.S. Department of Education, and we really focus on three things uh, to land this plane. One is providing opportunities for the experts, uh, specifically for African-American students, to talk about opportunities and challenges that they face um, so that they can improve the way that caring and concerned adults respond to their needs. Um, the second is to highlight what's working, proven and promising strategies that are um, benefiting the cognitive, social, and emotional learning and development of African-American students of all kinds at all points in the pipeline. Um, and then the third is connecting with and supporting the individuals and organizations who um, carry out those first two goals. Wow, um, yeah. I would say that you, I would say that you've really um, have quite the resume already because you don't look too old, David Johns. I'm, <laughs> that's pretty impressive. So, can you kind of tell us a little bit? Um, it's really uh, sounds like a really important important initiative and an important. Um, uh, role that you have within that. So what is like a day-to-day -day work you do look like? I mean, are you active in, in, in kind of working with other parts of government or new legislation that's going to come down? Or is it kind of work a little independent from that? It's all of the above. And one of the things that I enjoy most uh, is that no two days literally are the same. Um, take this past week, for example, Washington, D.C. celebrated both the Congressional Hispanic Caucus Week and the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation annual legislative conference. Um, so it was a convening of some more than 5,000 individuals um, who care about or are concerned about the well-being of African-American communities throughout this country uh, who gathered in Washington to see to, to have policy discussions. So over the course of the week, our office produced a number of events, including um, the second annual professional development day for educators. So a day-long convening where we uh, supported one of our youth ambassadors who gave a keynote address, really talking about the need after celebrating uh, that educators do God's work and really thanking them. She talked about the need for educators to do the tough work uh, and sometimes difficult and uncomfortable work of meeting the needs of all other students, um, in particular African-American students who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgendered, or intersex, um, as well as African-American students with disabilities. Um, throughout the course of the day, educators who attended this summit uh, participated in three different professional development sessions. The one that we produced was about um, connections to the ESSAR Ensuring Student Success for All Act, 
Um, but before uh, the Assistant Secretary, one of my colleagues, Deputy Secretary, rather, Tanya Clayhouse, talked about the department's work around implementing ESSA, uh, we hosted five student leaders who, again, talked about what they need from caring and concerned adults, in particular educators, to feel safe, engaged, and supported. Um, we also produced two other events um, during the annual legislative conference, one focused on increasing the number of African-American STEM stars, um, so those who are successful in science, technology, engineering, the arts, and mathematics. Uh, we produced that in partnership with General Motors um, and expanded that conversation by including one of our ambassadors who attends Duke Ellington High School to talk about moving from STEM to STEAM to acknowledge the importance of, of arts and agriculture as well. Um, the final event that we produced throughout the week was an Emerging Leaders Luncheon. Um, so a two-hour event, uh, the first hour included a panel of experts. Um, everything that we do, you'll notice the theme, it always has young people centered yeah. um, in it. And so there were two student leaders, our youth ambassadors, uh, Monet Umana, who uh, recently graduated from the Madeira School, um, accepted at Howard University, but is taking a gap year to serve. And she's working now with City Year, as well as Grace Dolan Sandrino, a young leader um, who I mentioned earlier from Duke Ellington High School, uh, both ambassadors who served on our panel, along with other panelists, including Tawanda Braxton, who talked about a foundation that she has to provide diapers to childcare facilities for families that cannot afford them. Jeff Johnson, an award-winning uh, thinker and strategist who talked about the work of supporting his son, Miles, and learning about his dyslexia and leveraging the privilege that he and his family has to be able to share that knowledge and information with others. Um, David Banks, the founder of Eagle Academy, talked about the work of helping other people learn from uh, the lessons that they've experienced, providing uh, exceptional learning and development opportunities to Black and Latino boys in New York and now through other parts of the country as well. And after hearing about, again, opportunities for adults to show up. We invited more than 250 participants um, at an event, again, that was sponsored by ANET and Urban Teachers to then develop their own accountability plans to identify ways that they as individuals would show up in meaningful and consistent ways in the lives of others. Um, so while all of this is going on in our office, um, I should note that I have the pleasure of leading an office that is very small but mighty in the work that we're able to do uh, we um, had conversations on Good Morning Washington so that people were aware of what was happening. Our um, assistant director, Laura Mims, um, produced and attended a couple of events at the White House focused on uh, women and girls in particular connected to an initiative we have called AFAM Women Lead. Um, I participated in two school visits where we showed up at elementary schools to learn about things that are happening that are exciting and engaging, uh, but to also really talk about and affirm the work of young people. Um, and so... Um, I hope that that provides a sense of just some of what <laughs> yeah. we're able to do. Uh, but suffice it to say that there is no shortage of work. And if we could stop time and clone ourselves, we would be able to do a lot more. That actually, that just sounds amazing. Yeah, it seems like your office really is absolutely mighty. And I'm so excited about the the woman doing a, uh, the student doing a gap year at City Year. I also, I did a gap year from college with City Year. And then I ended up working for them for a number of years before I got into education. Love that. City or DC is one of our favorite organizations. Um, whenever I can support them and Jeff Frankel, their ED, um, I do actually just gave remarks at their opening ceremony at Cordoza High School. Um, and so love the idea of encouraging um, young people to think about um, service and gap years in particular. Um, and I find that it's a really meaningful way um, to encourage young people to think about teaching. Yeah. 
Um, and for those who realize throughout that process that teaching is not for them. Which is a really good experience to have. That's yeah. exactly right. To know that it's not something that, that, that you can or should be doing, but there, there are other ways to show up and support as well. My wife did sit here as well. Uh, and she did realize that she was not going to be a teacher after that, which was a perfect decision for her. One thing I noticed uh, that's really impressive, David, is how you constantly reference student involvement in, in all these initiatives. Because I think so often in planning what should happen in education, um, just even in schools, you know, we students aren't involved. I always think about how we have student government. We actually call it student government. And like their biggest responsibility is like to pick prom colors oftentimes, right? right? right. Um, so, so your big idea you're going to talk to us today about is student-centered education. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean that uh, this is the, everything you ever needed to know you learned in kindergarten. And the thing that always worked for me as a kindergarten teacher was thinking about what was at the best interest of my students, right? That was everything from uh, do I reorganize or think differently about how we engage in lunch to the actual curriculum and materials that I expose them to. And um, as an adult, um, it really bothers me that two things happen. One, often adults gather in rooms with other adults to think about solutions or strategies that are designed to, to meet the needs of young people. And we will think about what it was like when we were younger and uh, bend ourselves over backwards, thinking about what we might need if we were young today based on the experiences that we've had, and sometimes even implement solutions for students without ever engaging them in the process. We don't honor that they have experiences and are often engaged in co-facilitating um, um, opportunities for themselves and their peers to lead and to solve seemingly intractable problems. We often place limitations upon them and say what they can or cannot do before ever giving them the ability to demonstrate all that they know. Uh, and so I operate in the spirit of Asa Hilliard, who said, I've never met a child who is not a genius, and there's no secret to how we support them. The first thing we do is to treat them as human, and the second thing we do is to support them with love. And so one of the non-negotiables that we have for a lot of our work is that if we are partners, students would need to be centered. Um, one of the things that we do is uh, produce what we call AFM Ed Summits. Um, we abbreviate um, only for the purposes of branding our events um, by saying AFM Ed or A-F-A-M-E-D. Um, but it's really important to say the full name of the initiative, the White House Initiative on Educational Excellence for African Americans, because often those words aren't strung together in that way. Uh, but one of the things that we do is produce the summit. It's a partnership with um, Johnson Publishing Company's Ebony Magazine. And we go around the country at post-secondary um, institutions, two-year, four-year colleges. We started at Morehouse College, have been everywhere, including Laney College in California. I will be at um, Skyline College in California um, next week, uh, University of Pennsylvania, recently at uh, Harris-Stowe State University in St. Louis. And, and the only rule, the only non-negotiable for this summit is that the only experts who get to sit on the stage um, under the White House seal are students themselves, um, students as young as elementary school, um, and then extending through college, traditional and non-traditional. And this really often forces adults, and in many cases, educators, to listen um, and to listen without wanting to respond, um, but to listen with love, period, full stop. Uh, what we then do is work with the community partners and the adults in that community or at that institution to hold them responsible for responding to what they've heard. Um, and so whether it's planning a literacy party something that we do here to talk about the love of literacy and to encourage that 
uh, amongst children, we, we put students first. So we will invite uh, Marley Diaz, um, a young girl who started a campaign to get a thousand black girl books because she said in her words, she was tired of reading about white boys and their dogs. Um, and Marseille, <laughs> a young girl who's an actress on the um, show Blackish. Uh, we invite the two of them so that they can talk about their love of reading with Rita, who wrote One Crazy Summer, and will host a literacy party at the U.S. Department of Education, or will partner with um, the West family. There are three young, beautiful geniuses, um, Joshua, Jeremiah, and Jordan West. Uh, Joshua and, and Jeremiah, at I believe, 8 and 11, wrote a book called Champions of Change, and, and it teaches the joys of spending, saving, and sharing. Um, their younger uh, sister, Jordan, recently wrote a book um, after producing a princess party. She said um, she found it frustrating that girls who are homeless or in foster care um, don't often get to be treated like princesses. And so she leveraged her social capital. She's just the cutest little thing ever to solicit donations. And she created a princess party where she invited a number of girls. They read, they talked about going to college. They got their nails painted. They were treated as princesses for a day, and she now wrote about that story. Uh, and so next month, we will be partnering with Jordan to produce a version of that princess party for homeless and, and girls in the child welfare system in Washington, D.C. Um, that event would not have happened in that way uh, if we did not center students or allow them to lead. Uh, and so, so much of what we do is take the best of the knowledge that we've gained um, over time uh, and then allow young people to take it to the next level. And so for everything that we do, we try and make sure that we center the experiences and needs of our experts, our, our young people. It's so great that that stuff is happening at the national level. Uh, a lot of our listeners are teachers or pre-service teachers. Um, how can we as educators uh, in administration, how can we make sure that we do put students in the center of, you know, our world? Yeah, I'm going to uh, uh, stay in the vein of uh, centering our students and read some of the recommendations that came from uh, one of our recent summits in June of this year, June 9th, 10th and 11th, we produced um, a first of its kind convening a White House summit for African-American LGBTQI students. We produced that in partnership with the National Black Justice Coalition and the National Education Association and invited to DC um, nearly 100 youth leaders from around the country um, to be affirmed and celebrated, but also so that they can make recommendations to improve programs, policies, and practices. And here are the things that they said. Yeah. Um, school administrators are responsible for creating school spaces that make it comfortable for LGBTQ teachers, adults, and students to be open about their identity. Panelists indicated that it is important for adults to openly identify, to serve as role models and mentors, and to disrupt the practices that often amplify stigma. And while this is specific, um, that was a recommendation, this is me editorializing, while this is specific to LGBTQ students, um, the, the notion of showing up for all students, no matter how they identify, um, is incredibly important. Panelists also highlighted the need for educational training across the board to ensure that all students have the most supportive environments. Um, they specifically talked about cultural competency, um, the idea that that one cannot be a good or an effective educator if not and, and not be culturally competent at the same time and stress the importance of student peer training workshops. Um, and so lots of conversations around restorative justice and things that empower young people to lead and resolve conflict uh, rather than punitive um, measures. Um, another recommendation is that educators must listen to the needs of students without judgment. Um, and so we encourage um, all educators to think about hosting um, a version of our summit, which we call an AFAM Ed Teach-In, 
Um, there's a toolkit that you can download on our website, www.ed as an ed.gov, G-O-V, like government. Um, if you just look up uh, slash AFAM education, if you look up teaching toolkit, you can download a bunch of resources that can make this um, hopefully simple for you to do as well. Teachers and educators should not project an identity onto students. Instead, students should be able to articulate how they identify um, and it should be respected. Uh, so this was interesting as we were having conversations about um, preferred gender pronouns in particular. Um, and so for students who understand that not only is sexual identity fluid, but sexual our, our presentation of self is also fluid, um, th there's this notion that um, young people want to be respected for how they show up, uh, even if that changes, and especially if that makes us as adults uh, uncomfortable. And so they talked a lot about the need for educators to um, equip themselves with the latest uh, lingo and terms uh, and to do some of the work of understanding what's going on so that we can have honest and open dialogue. Related to that, there's an acknowledgement that educators should always be prepared to work through uncomfortable situations um, that are in the best interest of their students. Um, educators must be attentive and sensitive to the needs of all students, in particular those who are often most neglected and ignored. Uh, and then finally, adults should seek answers to anything that is unclear to them um, about their students and their experiences in particular. And so for me, a lot of this is really doing the tough work of getting to know our students, um, much like was mentioned at the top in terms of asking uh, students what music they like uh, and then appreciating it without judgment. Uh, this is really about asking our students who they are and how they show up beyond what might be listed on our roster. Uh, and then using that to inform how, how we teach and, and how we support them as they learn. Those are impressive uh, recommendations, and we'll definitely have to get those on our show notes. I think, you know, for teachers, it's one of the problems, as you mentioned, No Child Left Behind at the beginning of, of the uh, episode and and how that didn't make the difference that we wanted. And I think the problem with, with um, initiatives like No Child Left Behind or laws like No Child Left Behind is that it puts the curriculum kind of ahead of the students and really puts testing ahead of the students. Whereas I think a lot of what you're saying is is that learning and, and learning spaces have to be relational. Is that fair to say? Yes and no. Definitely learning and um, that process has to be relational. But I would challenge the, the, the framing around No Child Left Behind the, the, the work around the curriculum um, in particular, and again, I was um, teaching in New York City, a state that has pursued regents and other forms of credentialing or um, tying a demonstration of proficiency to a standardized exam was not at the core of ESEA for me, right? There was nothing in the law <laughs> across the 12 titles um, that suggested that we teach to the test, we no longer focus on uh, arts, education, uh, we somehow only do the things we know have resulted in not only teachers, but students feeling not engaged, not excited, uh, and not like they're learning. And so I think it's often, it's, it will continue to be important, especially as we have more conversations about moving from um, No Child Left Behind to ESSA, to be mindful of how federal policy is really designed to provide a framework within which all caring and concerned adults, those of us who have accepted uh, formal roles to be educators are uh, to be responsible for implementing state policy or doing it on the local level. Um, and those who show up in communities are in families or in spaces where we're responsible for um, supplementing that which happens formally within education. The, the bill in itself is only prescriptive. The, 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 the challenge and the charge for us as educators is to find the most meaningful way to fill gaps. Um, and for us, no matter where, whether we're talking about um, the ratio of teachers to students or whether or not students have um, proper accommodations, as long as they individually 
um, that holistically are centered, we think that everything that follows thereafter will be right. That's a really good point. Wow, you've given us a lot to think about. Uh, first off, just thank you so much for, for joining us today, but but more so, where can we find a lot of these initiatives and this work that, that you're doing and also maybe even connect with you online? Yeah, love that. Um, so encourage everyone um, to follow us on social media. I am at Mr. Mr. David Johns. That's the same across all platforms. Our social media for the initiative is pretty popular. Uh, we host what we call AFAM Ed Chats every so often, and you can follow us at AFAM and then the full word education. Our website again is www.ed.gov slash AFAM education. And there you'll find a number of the resources that I've referenced, including additional information about our AFAM Ed Summits, as well as the LGBTQ Summit or the Disability Summit that we produced in June and July of this year. Great. Uh, well, we we definitely hope to continue these conversations online. Um, this podcast can just be a starting point for continuing to learn from and with each other. So thank you again for, for joining us today. I thank you again for having me as well as for your patience and understanding of <laughs> all of that, all that we are trying to do in the little bit of time that we have left. Um, and so as a political official, I cannot, or a political appointee, I cannot say uh, any more than everybody should go vote. Uh, I get the feeling that you are a busy guy, but it seems like you're doing really important uh, work. So um, we, we both certainly commend you for that. Trying. I appreciate that as well and for all that you're doing. Thanks. We're all about sharing the learning at the Visions of Education podcast. Tweet us at Visions of Ed if you're doing something creative in education or hit us up on Facebook. I think we're there too. And if you haven't already, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or apparently we're on Google Play too. And if you write us a five-star review, we will read it on the air. And at you can point. at some point. We'll get we'll get there. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Kretka. And I'm at 42 Think Deep. And this is the Visions of Education Podcast signing off.